as you know, we're uh, loitering in the book of Hebrews in the 12th chapter right now. And this is this morning part two of an election sermon. Last Sunday was part one. This is part two. Uh, as I started to write last Sunday, once I got to the seventh page, I realized that this was not going to be done in one sermon. And so point one was last week. Point two is this week. And when we talked last week, we talked about the fact that true politics, the meaning of politics itself, is really how we live together and make decisions together. That's different than partisan politics, which is all about elections and that sort of stuff. Politics is just how we interact together on a human level. And because of that, because the love of Christ always has to be put into action, there is a Christian politics, and it's the way we put the love of Christ into action in relationships around us. That's nothing like partisan politics. That's Christian politics. It's how we live together in Christ. And I reminded you that a part of that was the fact that in the Scripture, God tells us specific ways that our Christian politics ought to operate. God sets the guidelines, the standards for our interactions one with another, and not just within the kingdom of God, but folks outside the kingdom of God. Essentially, this is how Christians live. Regardless of the circumstances they encounter, this is how Christians live. And so Hebrews 12, 14 informs that. What does it say? Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. That's important. We talked about the need to pursue peace in all of our actions. But we also mentioned there will be times when any communication, any position we take will naturally bring some level of division because the gospel is an offense at times. The gospel brings its own judgment at times. But even when that is true, we speak in ways that pursue peace as much as possible. And this is always important because we represent. We are representatives of the kingdom of God. And our methodology, our speech, our behavior, all of those things reflect on the God whom we claim to serve and whose name we bear. That should be sobering for us. If it's not sobering to recognize that all of your life's actions reflect on God, that I'm not sure how seriously you take your Christian commitment. I mean, we are representatives. Paul tells us that we are the ambassadors, and it's as if God was making his appeal through us. So we're vital links in the communicating chain between God and the people that he loves and he wants to reach. So the way we represent him really matters, and it ought to be sobering for us. But there's a second foundational piece that is important when we discuss election politics or partisan politics. I mean, you must know by now that thoughtful Christians often end up on different sides of the same question. It isn't always clear which choice in the election is most Christian. And some would say, well, the choice is obvious. Well, others would clearly disagree on whether the choice is even clear or not. We just don't disagree. None of that changes the fact, however, that it is imperative 
that regardless of our position in terms of partisan politics, we protect the unity of the Spirit. This is Ephesians 4, verses 2 to 5. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. When you hear words like that, the very notion that we would make civic politics more important than the issue of the unity of the body of Christ, that's just unthinkable. It's unthinkable that we would make partisan politics more important than this fundamental commitment to the unity of the body of Christ. The unity of the body of Christ and the gentleness and meekness and humility that are required to maintain that ought to inform all of our communication. I mean, Paul says very clearly at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 6, when he's talking about lawsuits among, um, the law, among the believers, he says, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be taken advantage of? Why not rather be cheated than actually take any division in the body of Christ outside to a secular authority? Because that would be to prove to the world that we can't get along with each other, and if we can't get along with each other, our witness is useless. And so our unity is not just so that we can look good. It's because we have been given a mission to reach the world for Christ. And we can't do that if we can't even get along with ourselves. Because if we can't get along with ourselves, we are no longer living in submission to Jesus Christ. It's just that simple. This command to pursue peace and to make the pursuit of peace a lifestyle and to maintain the unity of the body of Christ is a priority. And in this passage of Hebrews, it is emphasized with a particularly powerful instruction. Listen again to these words, I believe which are designed to convince us to pay strict attention to the moral and ethical code of Christ. This is Hebrews 12, starting in verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that, that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. We have not come to that mountain. But, verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, 
How much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. You know, we're experiencing a lot of fear-based politics on both sides of this equation these days. If you don't do the right thing, everything will fall apart. Candidates are saying to us that this is the most important election in our history, that the economy will collapse, that your IRA will disappear, that we will lose the soul of the nation, we will lose our rights if you don't elect me. That is not the kingdom in which we live. We have better promises and we have a better kingdom. And the author of Hebrews is telling us we need to fix our hope and our attention on the kingdom to which we belong. And our hope, our hope as citizens of the kingdom of God, rests in the fact that we are citizens of the kingdom that's been described, the city of the living God, where thousands of thousands, rank upon rank of angels sit, where the saints are surrounding us and a great cloud of witnesses cheering for us, that we're in a community created by the power of the firstborn, Jesus our Christ. And all of our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's the community, that's the kingdom that we're a part of. And this kingdom that is described here is mentioned to be unshakable. Nothing defeats it. It will persevere. It will triumph. God's plans will not be thwarted. God is working his purpose out. But so many folks are talking as if our lives and all of our hopes hang on Donald Trump or Joe Biden. And I promise you, that's guaranteed to disappoint I mean, do you remember the words of the psalmist in Psalm 146? Do not put your trust in princes and in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Do you hear the priorities that the psalmist lists? the things that are the values of this kingdom of God, this unshakable kingdom that has already begun, in which you and I are already citizens, in which we already live, and promises to continue forever. That's, that's the kingdom that we're in. That's the kingdom whose promises are ours, and that is the kingdom of our first and primary allegiance. Psalm 20 reminds us, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Human leaders cannot save us. Human leaders are not worthy of absolute trust. Human leaders may, may act to bring justice and peace for a short time, and those that do deserve our support. Still, 
if we are looking for salvation from, if our hope is rooted in human leaders, we will be disappointed. Most would say, well, pastor, I'm not really looking for that from my human, re- my human leaders. And I would say, oh, really? Well, if you're not that focused on those human leaders' ability to save us, then why all the vitriol and angst and anxiety and chaos surrounding our political choices? Because it sure sounds like we are invested to the level that if we don't get our own way, the world will collapse, the universe will crumble, and our lives will be decimated. And we forget the kingdom that we're citizens of. Again, I'm arguing for a perspective and I'm making the case that Christians ought to have a worldview that allows them to participate in partisan politics without injuring the unity of the body of Christ, without ruining the reputation of the kingdom of God, and without damaging the peace of their own souls and the peace of the souls that are around them. And this is easily possible if we remember who we serve and to whom we belong. You forget those things, it's up for grabs. We can convince ourselves to believe anything when we lose our moorings. But if we are anchored in who we belong to and who we serve, we can stay on course because we are answerable to someone for the way we speak, for the things we post, for the actions we take, in this area as in every area. I don't, I don't want for a second, though, to leave us with the sense that this is all doom and gloom. I mean, listen to how this chapter ends. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful then and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. We're receiving an unshakable kingdom. We are living as representatives of that which will never end. And consequently, we have to live in ways that respect the instructions that we have been given. Why? Because God is a consuming fire. We obey out of this combination of love and awe, and maybe awe bordering on a healthy level of fear, because God is a holy God. And even though we come to the city of Mount Zion with all of the joy there, and even though our motivation of serving him is the love and joy that he gives us and the way he cares for us, we still cannot forget that he is almighty, the awesome, the majestic, the beyond our ability to understand God. But I think there's something very vital in remembering the fact that the unshakable nature of this kingdom is the very thing that enables us to serve and endure in difficult situations now. If everything that we experience in life was misery and difficulty, 
it might be hard for us to believe that God is good. And so God comes and, and nourishes us and cares for us and enriches our lives, provides the presence of the Holy Spirit that we can be transformed, puts love for others in our heart and, and leads us in the work that he gives us to do. But he also gives us promises to remind us that whatever work we do for the Lord now in this kingdom, this kingdom that has already begun and will continue, though, though chaos surrounds us, the work that we do here in his name as his, as his representatives will prosper. There will be fruit. There will be investments that we make that will have eternal consequences in it. And we need to keep that perspective in mind. Um, we were reading yesterday in the, in the morning prayer time, that Zoom thing we were doing, the passage from John 13, where leading up to the time where Jesus takes the towel around his waist and washes the feet of his disciples, uh, John tells us this, that Jesus, knowing from where he had come and convinced of where he was going, was then able to demonstrate the full extent of his love for his disciples to the very end. And the way that clause is constructed, it's clear that because Jesus knew where he came from and where he was going, then he's able to endure trial and difficulty here to demonstrate the love of God for those who are around him. And the foundation, the foundation of that was he knew where he was coming from, he knew where he was going. And friends, we have that same knowledge. We know where we're from, we know where we are going. The promises of living in this eternal, unshakable kingdom is ours. And so because we know where we're headed, we can endure difficulty now. We can take it on the chin, if you will, now. We can keep our mouths shut when we ought to now. We can embrace the peace of Christ for ourselves and promote that peace around our brothers and sisters in Christ now. We don't have to have the last word all the time now because we are going to have the last word on the day when every knee bow and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And we're moving in that direction. And so our work now is profitable and useful and we know where we've been. We know where we're going. And so we can be secure in Christ now. That lets us be the kind of people who are not shaken by every wind of change that happens in the world. That's why I've said for some time now, when we're talking about these days of COVID and, and I hear folks say, you know, these are uncertain times, and I say, phooey. They're not uncertain at all. We know where we've been. We know where we're going. We may not be able to predict what's going to happen tomorrow, but we are getting an unshakable kingdom. We are in an unshakable kingdom and we are headed somewhere. We have a destiny in Christ that is amazing and wonderful and awesome. And we should be celebrating that. And our celebration means our unity is magnified because we're all headed in the same direction, regardless of how you've already voted. And that's amazingly good news. And what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15 then? Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 
Do you believe that the kingdom has come? Do you believe that as you've invited Christ to be your Lord and Master, that you have stepped into this kingdom, this unshakable kingdom that is moving in a direction to an amazing culmination someday at the Father's call? Are you in that kingdom, serving that kingdom? Or are you confused about your citizenship today? I hope that you're not. I hope that you know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that your citizenship is in heaven, that the kingdom of God is yours. So whatever we experience today, what does Paul remind us? 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Right? We don't lose heart. We have no reason for doom and gloom in our minds. We follow the advice of Philippians 4, right? Rejoice in the Lord always because we know what God is doing. Verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 4 says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Gracious Jesus, we are so grateful that you rescued us from the dominion of darkness and established us in the kingdom of your light. And we pray that by your spirit, you would help us to live as citizens of your kingdom, full of joy, representing you authentically, that the world may know the joy we have in serving you, that the world may see your power at work in our lives and that in all that we do, you would receive glory, so that as we lift Jesus Christ high, men and women would be drawn to him. Help us in the tasks you've given us, we pray, for we ask this in your name. And now may the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit equip you with every good thing so that you're able to do his will and bring glory to him now and forever. Amen.